I invite the congregation to please kneel with me before God in prayer. I am so thankful, O oh Father, that within our church we believe in a personal, loving, caring God that is always with us. Some people in this world worship a God that they think that has left them and they have to do things to try to please that God in order to get their attention. But you have said that where two or more are gathered Together in your name, you're in our midst, and we welcome you here in this sanctuary this morning. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of the cleansing that you have promised to give to us. We want to come before you to place our cares and our sorrows and our worries within your holy hands knowing and trusting that thy will be done. We want to uplift to you those who are traveling, those who are going through a time of sickness, those who have problems within their lives. Touch them. We think of TC. We pray that you'll be able to guide him and help him as he convalesce back from a fall he has taken. We think of others who might be sick. We know that your healing hand can be placed upon them and bring them back to health if it's your will. Now touch my lips, O oh Lord, as I share with this congregation the words from heaven. May it become real within our lives. May my unclean lips be turned into the lips of heaven as you speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our special music couldn't be here this morning because of a problem that took place, so I get to preach longer. I'll take the full 30 minutes and then some. Last week we took a look at the Bible text in Matthew that says that we should be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. And a lot of people try to say that the word perfect means to be sinless. We took a look at one of two aspects of being perfect that Jesus brings out. The first one last week we looked at was that we needed to be perfect in our love. If we are really Jesus' disciples, the world will know that we're his disciples by our what? By our love. And that love can only come when we realize and understand the love that God has for us, that he sent his son Jesus 
not only to leave heaven and come to this earth, but he took upon him the weight of the sins of the world. And then he went to the cross and he died on the cross that we might have life. What greater love hath anyone than this, than one gives up his life for his friends, and then he says, you're my friends. And as you begin to look at that, you just can't help but to change inside of you, that something happens. And as that change, as we see and we understand that love, we begin then to love others as Jesus had loved us. And I said last week, if you wanted an example of what the love of God is like, is to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's, that's him. That's that love. And that's that love that's always showered down upon us. And that's the same type of the love that the world is looking for. They're looking and searching. There's something inside of a sinful human being that that craves something. And they're looking to, to fill that void within their heart. And they turn to all kinds of things. They turn to alcohol and drugs and the wildlife and, and uh, money and power and prestige. And they all look at these things to try to fill this void. But you know what happens? It doesn't work. Some of the happiest people I know live in some of the poorest countries of the world. They have absolutely nothing but love. If you ever want to see love, go down to Haiti where they have corrugated steel huts that they have picked up for their homes. And when you're down that close to the equator and the sun is bearing down, no insulation, and try sleeping in that, and they are families that, that sleep there, and they share sleeping hours. So there's some people that are sleeping because they aren't big enough for everybody to sleep in. So some people stay, some families stay awake all night and then sleep during the day when the sun is beating down. But they're happy, and they're full of love. It's, it's hard to understand, isn't it? Yet it's when they experience that love, they can go through many things within their life. So one of the areas that we looked at of being perfect is being perfect in love. But I said there was another area that must be perfected within us if we are really going to be classified as God's people on this earth. And Jesus gives us a clue to this other area of perfection in Matthew chapter 19. If you would turn to that, a young, young man comes to Jesus and asks, a very good question, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. And my eye doctor told me the day would come that I would have to start putting on my reading glasses in order to see. And that day has arrived. Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 16. Paula, I heard that snicker again. Verse 16. Here's the question. Now, behold, one came and said to him, to Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? This is the rich 
young ruler that's coming to Jesus. What does that tell you about him? He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of power because he's a ruler. Got a lot of energy because he's young. Some of us are running out of our energy. See? Says a man in a little cart that he has to push a button to go around in. And this young man who has everything, and evidently he's a spiritual young man, he's asking Jesus a good question. What do I have to do in order to get eternal life? What more can I do within my life to make me perfect? We would all like to know that. So let's continue on with the story now in verse 17, because Jesus is going to answer him. So he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now look at the next verse. This young man said to him, which ones? I need to know. Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? I'm perfect. I've kept the commandments. I'm sinless. Jesus said to him, if you want to be, what's the next word? Perfect. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So what's he supposed to do? Give up everything that he has worked for all of his life. Give up your riches. Give up your rulership, your power. Give up everything. Follow Jesus, and you'll have eternal life. Wonder what's going through that young man's mind as he's thinking about this. Give up everything? Give up all my possessions? How am I going to live? How am I going to eat if I give up everything? How am I going to function in everyday life if I give up everything? What if I get into trouble? I might need my prestige, my power to be able to talk to someone to help get me out of trouble. I might need some money to help pay a doctor to give me my health back. I might need all these things, and Jesus is asking me to give them up. How am I going to live? How would you live? This young man, if he gave up everything...
you wouldn't have anything left to fall back on. Hmm. Continue on. Verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It was his power, his money, his friendship. It's everything that he had was really his God. And Jesus is asking him to give all that up. How could he do that? Why did he walk away sorrowful? How would he eat? How would he live? Turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 24. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 24. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, there's that word love, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, your riches. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than the clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sorrow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today and is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, ye of little, what's the next word? Faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What is Jesus asking this rich young ruler to live? He's asking him to give up everything and to live by faith. 180 degrees. Because he's always relied upon his riches and his power and his prestige and everything to get him through the rough times. But Jesus says if you really want to enter into eternal life, you're going to have to do it by faith. You've got to perfect your faith. That's not easy to live by faith. When I went to uh, Andrews University, to the seminary, my last quarter I didn't go out into evangelism. I went down with three other fellow students. We went down to Memorial Hospital in South Bend, Indiana and took our course 
in, for a quarter in hospital chaplaincy. And we worked with other chaplains of other denominations. We had a, a woman who was an ordained, her and her husband were ordained Methodist ministers. Another woman that was in the chaplaincy program was, was an ordained Mennonite minister. And then there was another, Nora. Nora was different. Nora was a Lutheran deaconess. Now, a Lutheran deaconess wears an outfit kind of like a woman. You've seen pictures of the pilgrims and the women who have the big black and the, and the white collar and everything. Nora wore that type of an outfit, and she was, she was taking the hospital chaplaincy course. In the midst of her course, she had to take a physical, and in the physical she discovered she had terminal cancer. And Nora came in just feeling about that high. And we all sit around as chaplains and we begin to talk and to share what's going on within our lives because how things affect our lives, our everyday life, will affect others that we're trying to minister to. And she revealed to us that she was dying of cancer. Young woman. Beautiful woman. And she says, I just don't know how I'm going to make it. And I said, Nora, how's your faith? She says, no. She says, what I really need is I need money to pay for the doctors to help me. And I said, no, Nora, how's your faith? She looked at me in my eyes and she says, you believe God could heal me, don't you? I said, well, he did bring Lazarus out of his grave. There was a woman who just touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed after all those years of her infirmity. There were some who wasn't even around that their loved ones were back home who had died, and Jesus raised them from the dead. Jesus can do anything. She says, you think that Jesus could heal me? And I says, if it's his will, yes, there's nothing impossible. But how's your faith, Nora? She says, I don't think he can heal me. That's pretty strong come from a lady who has dedicated her life to be a Lutheran deaconess. She didn't think that God could heal her. God was going to put her to a test. By the way, God always puts us to a test when it comes to our faith. Sometimes we don't like the test. It shakes us to our core. Nora came to the hospital, and her parents were there. And she couldn't figure out why her parents were there waiting for her at the hospital. And so the parent says, can we talk to you in another room? And Nora came out looking just as white as a sheet when she, after she visited with her parents. I mean, she was just shaking all over. 
And so we got her and we sat her down and we said, you know, what's going on, Nora? We knew her health was, was getting worse. And, and, of course, with the cancer and everything, and now she's white and she's shaking all over. What, what's happening, Nora? She was a little reluctant at first, but then she began to share. And she said, my parents came in and they wanted me to go to the hospital. There's a bunch of hospitals in South Bend wants me to go over to this other hospital and visit someone in a hospital. And she says, well, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do that, but that's not the hospital I'm assigned to. They may not just let me go right in because this guy's in intensive care and just go in and say I need to visit to this, this guy named George. And uh, I, I, I can't do it. You know, if he was in this hospital, then I could go in and see him and minister to him. And I says, no, you can go in and see him. Because he's your brother, and he's dying of cancer, and he's in the hospital, and he's only got a few days to live. She never knew she had a brother. You see what I mean when God shakes you to, the, to your core? And she's sharing with us, how can I go now and minister to my brother who is dying when I am dying and I really don't have very much faith. We all knelt right there on the floor and we prayed. We prayed for her brother. We prayed for her parents who kept this secret all these years. Her brother was 20 years older than she was. And we prayed that God would help her to minister to her own full brother in that hospital. And she ministered to him. She came back and she said, I couldn't do it until you guys prayed for me. And it seemed like my faith was boosted. A little later on, as we were closing our, our classes there, and we'd be going on our separate ways, probably never to see each other again, she came to us, the three Adventist young men, and said, what can I do to be able to help me with my cancer? And we talked to her and we said, you know, we have to rely upon God. God knows the answers to all things. And we know that he answers prayers and he can say, yes, I'm going to heal you and heal you instantly. He can say, no, I'm not going to heal you. Or he can say, well, I'm going to heal you, but it's going to be over time. Do you believe God and trust him enough that he'll do what's best? And she says, yes, I do now. And we had an anointing service right there for her, according to James. I don't know what happened. I don't know if she's still alive, because like I said, we left and went our ways. But I do know that I saw a growth in her faith in that hospital. And that's what we have to perfect, because brothers and sisters, we're going to go through some rough times. You're probably going through some rough times right now. Some of you are. And you may be going through things that is just shaking you to, to the core. But if you aren't, it will happen. 
We know that before Jesus comes, the world's going to turn against God's people. We're going to have to live by faith and faith alone. It isn't a matter of sinlessness. It's a matter of who we've got our faith in. And it has to be in Jesus Christ. And that's not easy to live by faith. That God's going to supply all of our needs. Sometimes what we need is not what we want. Remember what Isaiah said about our righteousness? Remember righteousness is what we do right? He says our righteousness in front of God is as filthy rags. So if I try to live a life of sinlessness before God, it's filthy. But Paul tells us what is true righteousness. Romans chapter 1. Verse 17. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You want to enter the heavenly kingdom? We have to perfect our love, and we can only do that the closer we come to Christ and the closer we come to his realization, the more we're going to understand that love, and that love is going to permeate out from us. The other area that's going to have to be perfected, and if you ask the Lord, we're all given a measure of faith, so don't go around and telling people, I don't have any faith at all. You're given, according to the Bible, a measure of faith, how big it is, doesn't make any difference even if it was as small as a grain of mustard seed. That faith, we could move a mountain. That's how powerful it is. But that faith needs to be strengthened. It's like a muscle. If your arm or your leg is in a cast, after a while you begin to lose the tone in your muscles and it becomes weak and, and it looks funny when they take the cast off because it's lost all its strength. We can lose our strength of faith if we don't continue to exercise it. Our perfection is to exercise that faith and to go to God and to say, turn my unbelief into strong belief. And he'll do it, but watch out. It's not going to be easy. I just told someone this morning that as I talked to him on the phone, Sometimes the school of hard knocks, we learn more from that school than any university that we've ever gone to because it is strengthening our faith. I'm reminded as I look at this, and I want to read it to you from Life Sketches. Well, let me, before I do that, let me read to you something else. This was kind of interesting. Ellen White wrote a letter one time to her husband. He was out of town, and she was writing a letter. James White was very, very discouraged. 
And he often had bouts of ups and downs, and he was on his downtime. But this time in his downtime, in his letter that he wrote to her, he was blaming her, his wife, for his feelings of depression and sadness. Goes to show that even in a prophet's home, a family can have problems. She wrote back a letter to him of an apology, and in it she made this comment. She says, I have put my hand in his, that's in Jesus. He will not suffer me to stumble or my feet to slide. I want this perfect faith and perfect confidence and unwavering trust. Her prayer when she was going through rough family times was to have the perfect faith and perfect confidence and perfect trust because she knew that was the only way that she was going to make it through the rough times. And it was the only way that her husband, James, was going to get through this depressing time that he was going through, that perfect faith. Let me read to you from Life Sketches this vision that Ellen White had. It'll be familiar to you, but it's always good to go back and to read it again and to look at it because it means a lot. While at the Battle Creek in August of 1868, I, that's Ellen White, dreamed of being with a large body of people. A portion of this assembly started out prepared to journey. We had heavily loaded wagons as we journeyed the road, seemed to ascend. On one side of this road was a deep precipice. On the other was a high, smooth, white wall, like the hard finish upon plastered rooms. As we journeyed on, the road grew narrower and steeper. In some places, it seemed so very narrow that we concluded that we could no longer travel with the loaded wagons. We then loosed them from the horses, took a portion of the luggage from the wagons, and placed it upon the horses and journeyed on horseback. As we progressed, the path still continued to grow narrow. We were obliged to press close to the wall to save ourselves from falling off the narrow road down the steep precipice. As we did this, the luggage on the horses pressed against the wall and caused us to sway towards the precipice. We feared that we should fall and be dashed in pieces on the rocks. We then cut the luggage from the horses and it fell over the precipice. We continued on horseback, greatly fearing as we came to the narrower places in the road that we should lose our balance and fall. At such times, a hand seemed to take the bridle and guide us over the perilous ways. As the path grew more narrow, we decided that we could no longer go with safety on horseback, and we left the horses and went on foot in single file, one carrying in the footsteps of another. At this point, small cords were let down from the top of the pure white wall, these we eagerly grasped to aid us in keeping our balance upon the path. As we traveled, the cord moved along with us. The path finally became so narrow, narrow that we concluded that we could travel more safely without our shoes. So we slipped them off from our feet and went on some distance without them. Soon it was decided that we could travel more safely without our stockings. These we removed, and we journeyed on with bare feet, and then thought of those who had not accustomed themselves to privations and hardships. Where were such now? They were not in the company. 
At, at every change, some were left behind, and those only remained who had accustomed themselves to endure hardships. The privations of the way only made these more eager to press on to the end. Our danger of falling from the pathway increased. We pressed close to the white wall, yet could not place our feet fully upon the path, for it was too narrow. We then suspended nearly our whole weight upon the cords, exclaiming, We have hold from above! We have hold from above! The same words were uttered by all the company in the narrow pathway. As we heard the sounds of mirth and revelry that seemed to come from the abyss below, we shuddered. We heard the profane oath, the vulgar jest, and low, vile songs. We heard the war song and the dance song. We heard instrumental music and loud laughter mingled with cursing and cries of anguish and bitter wailing and were more anxious than ever to keep upon the narrow, difficult pathway. Much of the time we were compelled to suspend our whole weight upon the cords which increased in size as we progressed. I noticed that the beautiful white wall was stained with blood. It caused a feeling of regret to see the wall thus stained. This feeling, however, lasted but for a moment, as I soon thought that it was all as it should be. Those who are following after will know that the others have passed the narrow, difficult way before them, and will conclude that if others were able to pursue their onward course, they can do the same. And as the blood shall be pressed from their aching feet, they will not faint with discouragement, but seeing the blood upon the wall, they will know that others have endured the same pain. At length we came to a large chasm at which our path ended. There was nothing to guide the feet, nothing upon which to rest them. Our whole reliance must be upon the cords which had increased in size until they were as large as our bodies. Here we were for a time thrown into perplexity and distress. We inquired in fearful whispers, to what is the cord attached? My husband was just before me. Large drops of sweat were falling from his brow. The veins in his neck and temples were increased to double their usual size, and suppressed agonizing groans came from his lips. The sweat was dropping from my face, and I felt such anguish as I had never felt before. A fearful struggle was before us. Should we fail here, all the difficulties of our journey had been experienced for naught. Before us, on the other side of the chasm, was a beautiful field of green grass about six inches high. I could not see the sun, but bright, soft beams of light resembling fine gold and silver were resting upon this field. Nothing I had seen upon earth could compare in beauty and glory with this field. But could we succeed in reaching it, was the anxious inquiry. Should the cord break, we must perish. Again, in whispered anguish, the words were breathed, What holds the cord? And for a moment we hesitated to venture. Then we exclaimed, Only our hope is to trust wholly in, in, to the cord. It has been our dependence all the difficult way. It will not fail us now. Still, we were hesitating and distressed. 
The words were then spoken. God holds the cord. We need not fear. These words were repeated by those behind us, accompanied with, He will not fail us now. He has brought us thus far in safety. My husband then swung himself over the fearful abyss into the beautiful field beyond. I immediately followed, and oh, what a sense of relief and gratitude to God we felt. I heard voices raised in triumph, triumphant praise to God. I was happy, perfectly happy. Brothers and sisters, it's that cord that we have to hold on to from heaven by faith. Everything else we got to chuck off to the side. There's nothing, and it grows. And there's nothing that we can hold on to. There's nothing that we can have here on this earth. Our, our finances will fail us. Our possessions will fail us. Our friends will turn and desert us. Our power and prestige means absolutely nothing. It is the cord of faith that I've got to hold on to. It is what grows stronger. It starts out small at first, but gets larger and larger. And it's the only thing that I can swing from this world over to the heavenly world, to eternal life. That's what Jesus was telling that young ruler. He says, you've got to give up everything. Accept your faith in me. You've got to follow me. And you make it to the other side. Brothers and sisters, you want to be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect? Then begin to ask the Lord to exercise your faith. Focus on your faith. You're going to go through some hard times because that's what's going to strengthen our faith. Don't murmur and complain about what you're going to go through. Just say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. You're going to get me through the other side. And it's that other side that makes all the difference in the world. You have not abandoned me. You have not left me. You have not forsaken me. Because the promises are there is that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will go with you wherever you go. No matter where it is. No matter what you're doing. Jesus is there with you. Have faith in him. That's what needs to be perfected in our life. Don't look to try to make your life sinless. Because like what uh, Maury Vinden says, you try to remove one sin and six pops up and takes his place. Our greatest sin is letting our faith go weak. I want you to take your hymnals and I want you to turn to a small little hymn of faith that we want to sing and ask the Lord as we're singing this song hymn number 526 to help you to focus on the love of Christ and to focus on him beginning to help you live in this world by faith 526 Stand together. God 
Father, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, come into our lives and to reveal to us his perfect love that it might reflect from us and to take our measure of faith that we have and increase it so that we might live solely in the faith of Jesus. That perfectness that we need must come from you now. Help us to learn and to teach us in our everyday life how to exercise that perfect love by witnessing to others and to have faith through the trials that we will face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.